Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Amen. I'd ask if you would remain standing in honor of reading God's Word. We're in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked, I don't know, he said. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Man, what an incredible way to just begin and and continue our day in seeing those boys' baptism. And I just have been overwhelmed, even just in the last couple minutes, thinking about the incredible way that God could use those five young men. Just if they surrender to following him and his spirit, there is no limit to what God can do. And so I'm just so honored and so thankful uh, to have one of those as my son, but just uh, to experience that. And so just thank God for his grace and his work. Uh, Well, as we are continuing our sermon series through John's gospel, we are now in John chapter nine, and the whole title of the series is Reframing Jesus. And what we're trying to do is to say that there are certain ways that we may have thought about Jesus or kind of conceived a version of Jesus in our mind, or maybe that other people have handed to us that isn't really a reflection of who Jesus is. And so our goal through this series is that we would reframe our view of Jesus, our understanding of Jesus around what we find in the scriptures. And today in John 9, we're looking at the way in which we are to reframe seeing, what it is that seeing means, what sight actually is. And that imagery of seeing and blindness is going to be consistent throughout uh, the passage that we look at uh, today. And so as we, as we think through this passage, the first thing that I want us to see is the healing, the healing of this man who is born blind. Now there is a way of seeing that the disciples are going to have that is different from the way of seeing 
that Jesus is going to have. And it's centered around this man, again, who was a beggar, blind from birth, that was sitting there. Jesus sees him. That's the first thing that our passage is going to show us. And then the disciples see him. Now, what is it that the disciples say about what they see in this man? He is a sinner. Or he's a product of sin, right? That's their assumption that because of this man's physical condition, that he either is the one who sinned or his parents sinned. Now, I want to hear very clearly that that is, that is something that often people uh, view as a Christian view of understanding the world, but that is actually a karmic view of way of seeing the world. That, that when we see someone who's, who's experiencing suffering or some physical difficulty in that way, we, we can attribute that to their sin. And yet what Jesus is saying is that this is not the result of, of sin, his parents, but it is an opportunity for God to work. Do you see that? When the disciples and later the Pharisees see this man, they see a product of sin. When Jesus sees him, he sees an opportunity for the power of God to be displayed. I hope we're the latter, right? I hope we're those who we see that we're not going, man, who messed up that this happened? But it's like, man, look at the opportunity for God to work, to bring about healing. And that's what what Jesus sees. And, and so there is this, this view, this way of seeing, again, that is, that is contrasted with this man. The healing that takes place, uh, right, is, is unique. And we're, we're meant to see a lot in the language that is used. Uh, Jesus says that he is doing the work of God. Now, there is a connection back to Genesis chapter one that we're meant to pick up through this language. And all through John's gospel, from the very beginning in John one, he's pointing back to Genesis. He's pointing back to this beginning language. Uh, let me ask you, in Genesis chapter one, what was the work that God did? Creation, right? He created. And there is this word that he spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And then he calls the light day and the darkness night. That's exactly the language that John is using. He's talking about creation. He's talking about light. He's talking about working in the day and the night. All of this language is, is pointing us back. Now, God created everything. He created the world, he created the people within it, and yet the man's condition, the fact that this man is blind, is evidence that something has happened to God's original creation. Clearly, Jesus has shown that this man's blindness is not the product of his sin or of his parents, but is it the product of overall sin of humanity? Yes, creation is broken. Because of the reality of sin, there is this need for recreation. There's this need for a new creation. And that's the work that Jesus has come to do. He has come to bring about this new creation right here in the middle of this, this broken and fallen 
creation. And he does it in a way that once again reminds us of Genesis. So in Genesis chapter two, how was it that God created people? He took dirt and then he breathed on it. What does Jesus do? He takes dirt and he puts his spit on it. So there's this combination of dirt and what comes out of the mouth, right? Breath comes out of the mouth. Spit comes out of the mouth. And there is this bringing together in this way of new creation that's going to be tied to this man. But we're going to, we're going to continue to see that there's a, there's a difference in this new creation versus the old creation that's all around it. Uh, in the beginning, whenever God said something, let there be, what happened? Whatever he said. Until he spoke words to the dirt creatures, right? Until he spoke to the human. Now, all of a sudden, things go sideways, right? And that's been the problem, is as a lack of listening to the voice of God and doing what he says. But here, Jesus speaks words to this man, and what does the man do? He does what Jesus says, right? And this is this expression of, of those who are part of this new creation, those who listen to the voice of Jesus and do what he says. He goes and he washes in this pool that means sent. And there's, once again, there's a lot that's happening in the language. Jesus is the one, John says, that is sent from the Father. So he's the sent one, and he now sends this man to the pool that's called Sent. You see it? So it's all wrapped up. There's this sending that's, that's taking place all throughout this. And the man goes. Now, from the church fathers on, there's been an understanding, a, a tie between this passage and what's taking place in the washing of the pool and what we all just witnessed earlier in the service in baptism, that, that there is this tie between this new creation that's taking place and the waters of baptism. And this is what we say when I, when I just put those boys under the water, we're buried with Christ in baptism. That's the old person, the old man, the old creation at some level is dying with Jesus and going under the water. And what's coming out of the water? A new creation, right? A new person now set to live a new life. And so the waters of baptism are, are about this new creation. And from now on, my identity is in Christ. I'm trusting in Christ and following him. The spirit of God is leading and empowering me, right? It's all of this, that's this new creation. What was old is left behind, right? And now I'm, I'm focused on, I'm living out this new life in Christ. And this is, this is all taking place in this work of new creation that Jesus is doing, demonstrated in this man as he has healed and he has given sight. Secondly, we're going to see the investigation. The investigation. So we're continuing our text. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Now notice this. He's the man who what? Used to be. He's the artist formerly known as Prince. He's the one who used to be blind. And again, this is this new creation language. Anyone who maybe experienced a radical kind of conversion experience where you turned away from a life that was completely lived in sin and darkness to Christ. And when people would see you later in life, they would go, man, what happened? Anybody have that experience? Like massive change. I know some, some people here. 
This is, this is kind of taking place earlier. They're, they were confused. I'm jumping back in the text, but they couldn't figure out, is this the same guy or not? <laughs> right? That's how different he actually is. And so now he's identified not as the beggar, but as the man who used to be. Sorry. That day, Jesus, uh, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. That day, Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And again, they asked the blind man, what did you say? What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. Now, let's consider that for, for just a moment. Uh, there is an illumination that's taking place through this text. And, and if you read all of John chapter 9, you can see that the Pharisees and those associated with them get darker and darker. They get blinder and blinder as the text goes. And the inverse is happening to this man born blind. He gets more and more light or more and more illumination to the truth. And so it begins with Jesus revealing himself as a prophet. Now, is that true? It is true. And we see that repeated in John and even this tie uh, with Moses. And yet, is he just a prophet? No. And we're going to see that knowledge, that, that uh, light, if you will, enlightenment about who Jesus is continue. Uh, how then does he now see? Sorry, moving forward. Uh, oh no, the Jews, thank you. The Jews did not believe about him that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Asked him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. But this is, so step one was they interview the man and they ask him these questions. They're not happy with his answers. Step two is they bring in the parents, right? Because they're saying, well, clearly this is a different guy, right? This isn't an imposter. This isn't an impersonator. This can't be the man who actually was born blind. They bring in the parents and the parents say, yes, this is our son, right? We know him. This is the son that, you know, we gave birth to. But we're not going to say anything about Jesus. You see that? They're willing to talk about their son. They're not willing to talk about Jesus. That's where they draw the line. Why? Because they are scurred. That's the southern way for saying that they're, they're afraid, right? They're scared. They're, and who are they? Why are they scared? Why are they afraid? Right, because because the Jews, which is which is a, a phrase that's referencing uh, the Pharisees, these Judean leaders, they know that they have power, they have control, and they can exercise that power by doing what to these parents. If if anybody, uh, this is what we see in the text. If anybody claims that Jesus is the Messiah, 
they will do what to them? All right, they kick them out of the synagogue. They cast them out of the synagogue. And we know there's a whole lot to this, but ultimately, a few decades later, this is actually going to happen, right? Anyone who claims Jesus is the Messiah is, is removed from the synagogues. And so there's this power, and the parents fear that power. Now think about this. Just, just think about this experience. I mean, I have three boys, and I think about how much I love them, and imagining them being born blind or born with a condition, and imagining that they were healed of that, right? As a parent, what should I feel? What should be the emotion that I have? I mean, over, I mean, can you even imagine that? Blind his whole life, and now he can see. We would ex- expect a loving parent to be overcome by joy and thankfulness to this one who healed our son. But is that the emotion they experience? They are fearful, right? And this is where we see fear of people is blinding. We see this all through the text. In fact, this is one of the ways that Jesus often is punching at the Pharisees. He's saying, you are so focused on the glory of other people that you can't see the glory of God, right? You're so fearful of people and what they think and how they can affect you that you're not, you don't fear God, right? You don't even see God rightly. And I think this is, this is such a problem for so many people because it's not that I'm actually doing things or making decisions because I think they please God or the things that he wants me to do, but because I think that they will please this group of people. Or that they kind of keep me in this position of security or power that I want to stay in. Do we see that? How, how that fear, that concern, that focus can actually keep us from being surrendered to God, right? To doing the things that God has called us to do. And, and that's just a lack of, that's blindedness. That's a lack of seeing the world rightly. And this is where Jesus, he's going to describe seeing the world rightly or seeing reality accurately as, as the kingdom of God. So when he's talking about seeing the kingdom of God, it's seeing reality, seeing the world around us according to the principle that God really is king. He really is in charge, right? And so there's the security that's in that, but that's, that's the kingdom of God. It's seeing that as reality, but they're blinded to that. They're afraid of people. So the second time they summoned the man who'd been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? I love that. That's comedy, by the way. We're, he, you don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're the man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. So here's where we're meant to see. This man says, look, you're the theologians. 
right? You're the ones with the degrees and they're proud of them. They literally have robes that represent them. They're the, they're the smart people. They're the people with degrees that are supposed to know all this stuff. And he's like, look, I don't know all of that stuff. I'm a simple man. And this is one of the most famous passages in the gospel of John. All I know is I was blind and now I <laughs> that's it. And so many people have that as a testimony, right? It's just, there, there was this reality in which I lived, which was I could not see, but now I can, right? And, and there is this unwillingness, right, to kind of give into the pressure because are they, at this stage in this interview, are they asking questions? They're not, right? That part's over with, they're now giving demands. They're making savior. They want, they have power. They have control. They're used to using that power to get people to do what they want. And they're trying to basically threaten this guy into saying Jesus is a sinner or that he didn't really do what he did. And it's like, look, <laughs> you're not going to do that. Like these threats aren't going to work. This is the truth. This is what I've experienced. This is what I've seen. This is, this is what this man has done. And in response to that, they kick him out, right? They fully and finally exercise their authority that they have to remove him from the synagogue. And, and, and again, it's this expression of, of their ability to control things, their ability to utilize their power. Now, third and finally, we're going to see the verdict. We see the verdict. So Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told him, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Now, first we see in this, we're going to see three verdicts, right? So we're kind of in this legal courtroom kind of a setting. The first verdict is the verdict of the Pharisees. They reject Jesus and his work. And this is demonstrated when they kick the guy out of the synagogue, right? They are completely rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting his work. And, and they're ultimately sending out this man who represents who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and ultimately, this is because he is a threat, right? They, their control, their power is threatened by Jesus and is threatened by the things that he's doing, right? Outside of their sphere of power. Uh, next, we see the verdict of the man. So Jesus, again, brings more light and more spiritual insight to this man. He's gone from just saying Jesus is a prophet to now Jesus has revealed the truth that he is the son of man. He is this promised Messiah king who has come from God. And, and, and now, ultimately, when this man reveals this light, the enlightenment that the one who healed him is this one who came from God, this Messiah, how does the man respond to that? Well, it says he worshiped him. The actual word is he prostrated himself. You know what that means? It's a weird word. It means he laid down on his face. 
right? This expression, he laid down before Jesus on his face and this, this expression of surrender to him, right? So there was something that was happening inside of him that was expressed through his body, right? Physically in, in laying down, right? This, this posture of surrender. And, and often throughout church history, followers of Jesus have prayed in that way as this expression, again, of, of surrender and dependence on Jesus, this is the response of seeing Jesus for who he is. He, his verdict is Jesus really is the Messiah from God. Then finally, the verdict of Jesus. So Jesus offers a verdict. He says, I came into this world for judgment. Now, what's this judgment going to look like? Is this just something that's going to take place in the future? No, it's something that's taking place right there, right, right then. The judgment is that those who do not see will what? Will see. Those who do not see will see. Who does not see? This blind man. He knows his need, right? He knows that he can't see. He knows that he needs sight. He knows that he needs light. And those who acknowledge their need are able ultimately to receive sight from Jesus, to receive healing from Jesus, ultimately to receive salvation from Jesus. But those who do, who do see will become blind. Now, who's he talking about there? The Pharisees. Do they actually see? Our text is shown very clearly. They don't see. They don't know the truth. They, they, they think they see rightly. And according to their sight, there are the righteous and the sinners. Right? And they have declared the blind man his parents, and Jesus, all as being sinners. Do you see that? So label of sinner attached. Blind man, parents, Jesus. They don't have that label attached. They are the righteous, right? They're the ones who are able to observe and see rightly. Is that true? No, right? They don't see rightly. The self-righteousness has blinded them. And so because they think they see they're not able to receive sight. And Jesus, this is, Jesus uses another example or expression of this when he says, I have come for the sick, not those who are well, right? Because it's the sick who need a doctor. Now, same principle, are they actually not sick? No, the, 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 the whole point of all of this is everybody is blind. Everybody is sick. Everybody is broken in this condition. So everybody has this need, but some people don't see their need. And those are the people, the people who don't think that they have this need, they don't see this need. Those are the people ultimately who are blinded. Those are the people who remain in their condition of blindedness or sickness in different ways. And this is where I think to bring all of this home, there is a real risk for us to be blinded by our pride, right? To be blinded by our, I would call it selfishness, self-centeredness, because we think we have the answers, right? These guys, they, they had the information. They thought they had the answers. We think we have the ability and the control. They, they were working to control all of these different things. And we can have that same mentality of, of trying to control the different things, thinking that we can control things. And for me, when God has brought light, enlightenment to me in different, in the most powerful 
significant ways, and maybe this is the case for you, the way that the light comes is it reveals the brokenness and the darkness in me. That's what the light does. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I hope you've, you've experienced that. that that's, that's what the light does. What it shows, what it shines on is your selfishness, your sinfulness, your brokenness, it, and, and, and what you can't do. And that's for me. It's happened again even recently where God's shown me very clearly, you can't do this. And I, and I shared that story a few weeks ago. I ended up in a, putting myself back in this place of being in a wheelchair, of realizing I can't. And for whatever reason, I had thought recently that I could. I had thought I could fix things. I had thought I control things. I had thought I could make things work in my own power and ability. And God had to show, you can't do any of this, right? You can't. And that's, and that's what the light does. That's what the Spirit of God does. It shows us you can't do it. You can't earn God's love and forgiveness and salvation. You can't, you can't do enough in your power, in yourself, right? You can't control all of the situations and the people around you. You can't do it. You're not God. And, and that opens our eyes, if you will, to see how desperately we need God. That opens our eyes to see, I am completely helpless and completely hopeless unless God works by his grace. And that's what it is. It's, it's we, are, we are completely dependent on the grace of God. Completely. From the time we're born to the time we die. Right? We are completely dependent upon the grace of God. And Paul Tripp says there are no grace graduates And I love that. You never graduate from needing God's grace. You never have the answers. You never have the ability. You never have to figure out. Literally, as long as there is breath in your lungs, you are in complete dependence on the grace of God. Right? Completely dependent on grace. There's no grace graduates. Uh, Dallas Willard uh, describes God's grace as jet fuel. And he says, those who are truly followers of Jesus, they go through grace like jet fuel. Right? And it's, it's, it's how it works. I can't, I have to wake up in the morning and acknowledge, I can't do this. I can't walk through this day on my own power, on my own ability, in my own wisdom, in my own strength. I can't do it. I am completely dependent on God. And that place of surrender is where God, by his grace, empowers us. And, and here's what you have to see. It's not until we realize that the fuel that we have in our own tank doesn't work that we look for something that's higher octane. So I don't know if you've ever run out of gas. <laughs> I used to have a fuel gauge that didn't work at all, so I, that happened a lot. But it's not until, in, often it's in our lives. It's, it's a time when we run out of gas, when... When what we have in our tank of self and ability and righteousness and whatever else, goodness, it's not until that runs out and we realize this isn't going to cut it (laughs) that we go, I need something higher octane. And that's the grace of God, right? And the grace of God is what reveals that to us, that allows us to see I can't do this on my own. And, And so we turn and, and trust, and, and guess what? The grace of God is high enough octane for all of us. That makes sense? Like it really is. 
It's high enough octane. I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care what you're looking at. I don't care what, this guy was blind from birth. I don't care what it is that is up against you, that's got you worried and fearful and confused and trying to figure it out on your own. That's the problem, right? The problem is trying. If you're in a hole, a regular old hole, this is from our D group, so those of you who are in my D group, you're gonna have to deal with it here and again. What do you do? What do you do if you're in a hole out in the middle of the wilderness? You climb out. What if you do if you're in quicksand? What happens when you try to climb out? You just sink in deeper. We're in quicksand. <laughs> do we see that? You're not in a hole that you try to climb out. You're in quicksand. And the more that you struggle and try, the more you just get sucked down deeper, right? And that's self, that's, that's everything that's the kingdom in this world. And so we try, we try, we try, and at some point we go, man, I can't, and we trust, <laughs> We move from trying to trusting, and that's the gospel. Like, that's, that's where we see the grace of God is sufficient to cover all of our sins, yes. To forgive us from everything that we've ever done. But it's sufficient also to empower us by the Spirit with everything that we need for everything that we face. Right? Do we see? And that security, that's the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus is able to say in the Sermon on the Mount, don't even worry about anything. And we're like, that man's crazy. <laughs> Doesn't he know what I'm dealing with? He says, no, your father, and look at the birds. He takes care of them. Look at the flowers. Is he able to care for you? Right? And we're like, you're smoking something. But it's, that's how, that's the kingdom of God. Right? That's how it works. But we have to surrender to get to that. We have to die. That's what, when those boys went to the waters of baptism, that's what they were doing. I can't. I'm throwing myself under the waters of God's grace. I'm surrendering entirely, completely to the grace of God. And that's where we're able to experience the resurrection, right? This new life empowered by the spirit, following the light. Jesus is the light of the world. He's able to light us, light the path for us and to lead us all the way. That's amazing grace. <laughs> and so we're going to sing. I ask the band to come up. That's what we're going to sing about. Maybe there's some of you today, you're still trying. You've never actually stopped trying and started trusting in Jesus. And if that's you, I would love to talk with you about surrendering Jesus, actually fully, really trusting, saying, I can't do this. I trust in Jesus. I trust in his life, lived sinlessly in my place. I trust in his death, died on the cross to pay for all of my sins. I trust in his resurrection to empower me by the spirit to live a new life. And again, that's, that's what I would love if, if there's some of you who are at that point, just surrender to Jesus. Maybe there's just something going on though where you've, you've stepped back into a place of trying to control your situations. And so you're anxious and you're fearful and all this stuff because you're trying to hold the wheel. And maybe in this moment, we can just, man, I just, I surrender that. I, I can't do this. I, I can't solve this. I can't fix this. I surrender to you. Maybe there's just something going on. I'll, I'll be at the prayer room and uh, would love to talk with you, pray with you. But I encourage all of us just to, just to express our thankfulness at the amazing grace of God, that what we could not do for us, he did completely and fully for us in Christ. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in a hopeless, helpless place trying to fix ourselves, to earn your forgiveness, to solve all of the problems in our lives. God, Thank you for 
the light of your grace that showed us what we couldn't do. And then bringing us to the true light of Jesus, the one who did everything for us. Would we continue to surrender to him? Lord, where we've tried to take back over and take control and control all these different things and make it all work. But Lord, would we just surrender that? Lord, we're asking your spirit to do a work that I can't do. I cannot, I cannot touch hearts. So I'm asking your spirit now, even in this moment, to touch hearts and lives and bring about this illumination, this light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org dot org.